Okay, hello and welcome to Dano Says So. This is a surprise episode for me in that when I got the idea, I didn't really think it was something that could happen. Uh, my guest today is a, I believe, four-time women's champion. It's true. In the WWE <laughs> and in 2014, correct? She was yes. elected to the WWE Hall of Fame. Um, perhaps less common knowledge to a lot of people is that she is, as they say, a hardcore kid. Um, so, Amy Dumas, thank you immensely for doing this. And before we get started, it might be nice. Why don't you let people know who put us in touch? Uh, so, yeah, I get a text from, from Kevin Seconds, and he, is, and he says, uh, a friend of mine then goes into your uh, biography, and I'm like, mm-hmm. Kev, I know who Dan is. Yeah, of course, I'll, I'll do his uh, show. But Kev, Kev is funny because I've been, while people might not know that I'm a punk rock kid, I'll have I've had seven seconds um, patches and stuff on my gear when mm-hmm. I was re- wrestling. So it's one band that people know. So he's been the go-to for putting me in touch with a lot of different people, actually. Yeah, well, when I put the idea to him, I thought he would shoot it down because he didn't want to put himself in that position. And his take was, no, dude, she's legit hardcore. She'll probably do it. I was like, can you have an assignment, sir? Also, Kevin's, uh, he's great at putting people together because everybody like, loves Kevin. So they're mm-hmm. like, whatever you want, you know. He was my first guest in doing this. And he jumped in with both feet, was fully enthusiastic, and gave me a great, great interview. So, you know, it was, anybody else might have made me reluctant to keep going with it. With him, I was like, oh, this shit's easy. So, yeah yeah he's a great storyteller okay so with that with both of us shining a light on it tell me how a young amy dumas finds punk rock uh seventh grade i think i was at the bus stop and um carrie burke who's just like a chick from my school but she was a year older and you know when you're young even like one year is 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 big and and Mm -hmm. um she she made me she just had this really cool look about her and I asked her what kind of music she listened to and she yeah. just told me I'll, I'll make you a mixtape and so she made me my first mixtape and it had Dag Nasty and Seven Seconds and Black Flag and Circle Jerks and everything you know she's also kind of a new wave I had the cure a and pretty strong and, pedigree out the gate but you go yeah on. yeah so um it you know, I, I was like, whoa, you know, because before that, I had only known about the radio. And, mm-hmm. and so to connect with music in a way that it was definitely like, you just feel alive and you're like, whoa, like, I didn't know I was looking for this, but I found it. And right. uh, it, 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 you know, changed my path forever. Um, I always joke that seven seconds were, were like my parents. Like I would read their lyrics mm-hmm. for advice. It was like, what would what would Seven Seconds do if they were in this situation? And, and just use their words like a like as a, a Bible to me as a child. I think there's no small amount of people who who would agree with that. Uh, not to make this all about Kevin, but and maybe to babble a little bit. I used to say that for me, the holy trinity of punk rock role like role models was you know Ian was the brain and Henry was the brawn. And Kevin Seconds was absolutely the heart. Okay. I wasn't going to interrupt you, but I was like, it's got to be Ian, Kevin, and Henry. Like, right. you know, I mean, like yeah. in this, I mean, you could have in, in different, like offshoots, but, but right. yeah, I would agree with you hands down. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So we've got a seventh grader with the ultimate starting mixtape. Keep going. 
Yeah. And then I think it was within about six months that I went to my first show, you know, and if I wasn't hooked before then it was like, forget it. Like, um, I'm part of this club that if you weren't in that room, you didn't know it happened, Mm -hmm. you know? And I remember just feeling really special and, and then on top of that, it was like those people that I just saw on stage are the same people that just sold me the t-shirt after the show. And so yeah. I just, I connected to the DIY aspect of it immediately. I connected mm-hmm. to the, like, if you want to do something, you can like, look at these, they're just these dudes like in a van mm-hmm. that looks like it wouldn't get outside the city, but they've made it across the country. Right. And I used that was like, I can do whatever I want. These people can, you know, right. and, and it was very inspirational to me from not like from ethos, but also just like apply that r- model to whatever it is that you want to do. There was a, a story that I may have mentioned in one of the other podcasts, but it had to do with journalism. And uh, I don't mind repeating it here uh, just by way of it's what, it's what I find relatable in what you just told me. So about five years ago, I'm interviewing this journalist who in his heyday had been involved in funding jur- dissident journalism in Cuba. And he would go down into Cuba with tens of thousands of dollars strapped to his body and finance, and finance dissident writers, right? Well, me and this hardcore kid, Ryan, we're interviewing him and setting up this public speaking event for him and everything else. And he tells us, you guys are amazing, amazing organizers. I'm, I'm in awe of this which made no sense to us. When I left the room, I said to Ryan, I was like, when you're a punk rock kid and you want to take over the world, you just take over the world because you don't know that you can't, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I felt that it was like kid power. I was like, these guys are doing it. I, I can do it. Right. And you don't think like, what if I fail? It's just like, I don't know. Let's just go plaster this on every telephone pole I see from here to the venue and, and see if people come because that's how I just found out about the show I wanted to go to, or that's how I found out about the protest or whatever. It was just like seeing stuff on the ground, asking around word of mouth without having the internet or whatever tools we use now. So I already know this by virtue of, of, you know, watching Lucha Gore's videos over the last week and so forth. But at this early state that we're talking about, did you get into actually playing music? Let's see. The first, I moved to DC in 92 or 93, somewhere around there. Okay. And that's when I played in my first bands or okay. was, was there. And um, that was more due to just being broke and music was free. Right. So, okay. You know, if you could borrow, a, a, you know, some equipment. So yeah, I lived in the, um, like a basement studio with the band Damnation. Do you remember them from Damnation DC? AD or Damnation? Yeah. yeah Damnation AD. There was like after worlds collide. There I want to say, about- I want to say that one of my later bands speak, Played with them. I know we played with we played for six weeks. I think with battery. Yeah. Right. So all kind overlap. of that whole yeah. Yeah. So they uh, Ken Olden had a, a studio in the basement, and I mm-hmm. lived in the basement. So they're like we were broke, but there was music right. equipment everywhere. So right. I was like, well, it's free to sit here and play, like figure out how to play around on this. So. Um, I, I played in some bands and I was I'm in a DC. level with you. I, I knew you had a punk rock background. Now that we're talking, I had no idea the world was this damn small. That's fun. You know, yeah, it's, it's it's incestuous. It's weird because it's like that thing. If you like meet someone from Canada and you're like, oh, you're from Canada. Do you know this person? But if right. it is like that with punk rock where you're like, oh, do you know this person? It's like, 
I could probably get a few down the list and we're going to find an overlap person. That's just how it is. I mean, from the same era, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm older than you are and I came in kind of early mid eighties. And even then, even that, like, you know, pre-cellular networking, even that the story remains true, even at that level. I can talk, talking to people pushing 60 and it only Mm -hmm. takes about five minutes to be sharing names, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's an exciting thing. I, I gotta say, I don't know if that's as true now. I wonder if digital has ruined that in punk rock and in hardcore. I wonder if it's ruined it or it's made it where they don't know each other, but it's like, oh, I follow that person on Instagram or I I know of that person. Whereas, you know, I feel like our, like pre-internet, it'd be like, oh, I crashed on that person's floor or that person gave me a phone number to go book a house show in another town that they were, that they knew of. Okay. Um, So wrestling for person of either gender person in professional wrestling is a brave goal and that wouldn't strike me as an easy target to hit uh can you kind of give us a quick rundown on your path i know the story of of seeing mysterio and heading to mexico and i'd really like detail on that (laughs) i mean when does the when does the thought first hit your head wrestling the thought first hit my head. Uh, I was living in Richmond at the time, okay. and my like longtime childhood sweetheart was Bo from a Bale, and his um, with the they, dancing Bo with the crazy ass beard, dancing Bo with the crazy ass beard. Right. Um, and his thing was wrestling. It was his dude thing. Is like, don't bother me when I'm in this room watching wrestling thing. Okay. And I was like, that's cool. But I would keep popping my head in to ask him a question or something, and got hooked. And it was almost like a, a child, you know, where I was like, oh, you know what? And I was taking judo and I had played in bands and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, look, it's like being a rock star and an athlete in one gig. Like mm-hmm. I, I just was kind of watching it from a, an onlooker's perspective. And they had a six week tour booked to Europe in like a couple months. And so yeah. I was like, I think if I save up money, I, I can go down to Mexico and try to figure out how to be a wrestler. And so it really was, I just threw a dart and went down there and just, um, walk the streets and ask people where I could find the Lucha Libre and how I could get in. And, you know, it, it took a minute, but by the end of my six week trip, I had uh-huh. found the, the inns. And so I went home and saved up money again and went back down there. And, you know, finally somebody was like, you know, there's schools and ways that you can do this, like probably like an hour or so from your house. And I was like, I sure don't. That's why I just. <laughs> well, and would it, have, would it have been the same? Because my, my perception is, is that the style would, is, at least to my taste, vastly superior. The yeah. style is like, you know, I liked, it was like a superhero aspect, right? They're exactly. masked and they're doing these acrobatic moves. And that aspect really spoke to me. And I mean, honestly, just the being a kid down there figuring it out you know I and I always tell people I wouldn't change my story like I wouldn't trade it for anything I learned so much I had the really like full sensory you know learning of trying to figure out how to do this now you like pull up Yelp and put wrestling school in there and and it's going right. to give you some options so I do think that's a, probably a safer, more effective way to go about it, but I didn't know any better. So I will take my story and I'm and it shaped, you know, it's just like a huge facet of shaping who I am too. And so did it go train in Mexico, shows in Mexico, local shows in the States, ECW as fast as it looks like it did on paper? Because it looks like you hauled ass. 
Yeah, it did. I was, I was definitely very determined and it, my concept was like, go anywhere. There might be someone more experienced than I am to, mm-hmm. to like, give me a nugget to, to, to build on. So I was yeah. going to indie shows three, four days a week. I, I was um, training with anyone that, so they'd give me an hour in the ring to get some mm-hmm. ring time in. Um, you know, with ECW, I just uh, caught wind that they did training before their show, like after mm-hmm. they set the ring up. So I just sat outside the high school that they were doing the show at and waited for someone to show up and asked if I could just watch. And then they're like, you can watch. And then as I sat there, they're like, okay, you can go to the ring. And then as I got in the ring and messed around, they're like, okay, you can have a tryout match. And then be- that night, I think I was on the show that night. <laughs> I would imagine so. I mean, what I remember is that we were in the bands I was in, we were, you know, wrestling geeks at the time. And I had grown up in a family that was obsessed with it because my namesake was a wrestler. And my father, you know, this guy wrestled in the 30s and 40s. So my father is, you know, front and center at Madison Square Garden, at Fenway, at Boston Garden, you know, watching his old man do it. So all I ever heard about when I was a kid. Then I ended up playing music with a guy who put on local wrestling shows here. Then it was, you know, you get home from tour and you're drinking on Monday night because you don't have a job because you're going out on tour again. And mm-hmm. it's the attitude era. And it was, it was, it was a borderline obsession. It was certainly a massive distraction. Um, I remember very specifically when you hit in 2000 and I remember, and please don't take this the wrong way. It is a guilt of the presentation. But the initial assumption is, is that this person is on screen right now for window dressing and everything else. And then in the first moments that I saw you at the end of that, you went top rope. Mm-hmm. Right. And what, where I'm getting with this overly long question is when you arrived, did people go, holy God, regarding your skill set? Because it seemed a little, it seemed to step up from what I was seeing. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, which would not be a bad thing, but it seemed to step up from what I was really seeing in the women's division at the time. And, sort of what the expectation was in women's wrestling to me. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't really a women's di- division at, okay. at that time. You know, we had Sable, we had China mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, some bit like some people to kind of just have a match here, here or there. But um, so when they told me they were going to pair me with SA Rios, it, mm-hmm. it, I mean, we, we debuted on like the B show last minute, but mm-hmm when they told me you're, you're up and you're going to be paired with this person. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm like, you couldn't have put me in a better spot because I was a fan of his, of, of Aguilar, Mr. Aguilar, S.A. Mm-hmm. Rios and WWE. I was a fan of his. And, and then the fact, and I thought I was like, you know what, I'm just going to train really hard. But even if I don't get to do this stuff, mm-hmm. maybe I can, all right, maybe eventually they'll let me do something. I'm just going to play their, play by their rules and then see if I can, can push into it. And when they said, no, we want you to emulate his moves. We know that you can do some stuff. I was, um, I was thrilled and they really, um, with as wild as attitude era was and as other crazy stuff as, as it was in a day, as a, in a day at the office to be Mm -hmm. able to showcase athleticism like that and dig into that Lucha Libre roots. It was, it was really a dream come true. It was pretty next level to the outside eye. Um, you said something right in there that made me think about something I read over the last couple of days. Is it true that you heard the name Moniker or got the name Moniker after the fact, after that match, you, you found out about it by viewing it? 
or yeah yeah so everything you know it's a live show on mondays right. and then we would film at that time it was a show called heat that would air on sundays and we filmed that before the live raw and okay. they were going to do something else and they christian was going to go out and win the light heavyweight title from gilberg mm-hmm. And who had been doing like a Goldberg spoof um, for a long time. And then they decided they were doing something else with the brood that night. So Christian wasn't going to be available. And literally like an hour before heat was going on, they're like, you two kids are up, get out there, just mimic a move or two of his and, and, you know, he's going to win. And we're like, okay, what are our names? Are we like boyfriend, girlfriend? Is this like, what, what, like, what, what's happening? And they're like, we don't know. We'll figure my motivation. it out yeah. before. Yeah, what's my motivation? Uh, we'll figure it out before we're we're lot or before it airs on Sunday. And I, mm-hmm. we're, we're like, all right, like great, whatever, whatever you guys want. We we're just stoked to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I remember. I think someone like six hours before Heat went was aired, or the day before, they're like, oh, you know your your name's Lita, and I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, I, I heard. And I was like, I don't know. I, and then, yeah, when I, I was like, I guess I'll watch Heat and find out. And I watched it live and they, and they were like, oh, who is this? It's Jesse Rios and Lita. And I was like, it took me a long time for someone to call that name and for me to respond because it just, it, it, I have no attachment to it. Like, it I was going to say, isn't it weird as hell? Because it's, it's with you for life now, or at least, at least for the foreseeable future. For life, I've, I've, I've finally, I've accepted it. I, when I first yeah. retired, I really tried to battle that, where I was like, I'm Amy, I am Amy. Like, that was mm-hmm. a character, that was a moment in time. And I'm like, it's, it's fine. And honestly, now I hear, it sounds the exact same to me. If somebody calls me Lita or Amy, I'm just like, huh, what? Like, like they're talking to me. Like, what do you need? Like, what, what's up? Okay. Um, that kind of leads me into some of the psychological stuff I wanted to ask you about, which might be a little... Dirty, gurdy, but I want one, uh, one more question first, though. You broke your neck. Yeah. Was that the first time you had to think about life after wrestling? And beyond that, fuck wrestling. How scary was that? Or was it you were going through it and you could just realize it is what it is? No, it was horrifying. Um, and it was a huge, pivotal, like, I, I say it was that moment that I lost my kid power. You know, we okay. touched on it earlier. It was like, you don't think about what are you going to do if you fail. You're just like, I don't know, let's go out and do this thing. And whether you're doing that in a band or whether you're doing, you know, like, whatever it is, you're just, like, approaching it with, like, I want to do this thing. Let's figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I lived my whole life that way until that. I was like, oh, I'm not invincible. Like, it, you, you can get hurt. Like, things can mm-hmm. come crashing down. And it was at that. And that was really the first time that I had a moment to think about even reflect on the fact that I had gone after what I wanted to do and that I had even got to the WWE because I didn't have a moment to think. Cause as soon as I set my sights, I was like, okay, what's next, what's next, what's next. And it just it was a, a bit of a whirlwind until that, until I found myself sitting at home and then going, all right, you're not paralyzed. The surgery was successful. Mm-hmm. You're going to be okay. But how about you reflect on the past two years from the second you saw Rey Mysterio on television mm-hmm. to right. now breaking your neck um, a couple years later. So it was a, little, a lot. And the fact, a really hard thing with that is 
the person was negligent and not trained and I gave them like every opportunity and they were lying with their ability. This was a stunt person. I dropped, I, I, just yeah, I know it was head. on a TV set. I know it was on a TV set. Yeah. No, not in a WWE ring. So I, um, I was very angry. I was so mad at that person and as painful as it was to break my neck, the pain of, of being like, like wishing ill on somebody and being so mad at somebody was, a heavy burden to bear. And I, and I like, I felt it more important to figure out how to forgive this person than how to get well, because it was poison. Well, my friend, Billy, we were talking about resentment and he used the, the phrase that it does more damage to the vessel carrying it than anything else. And I, I had to admit, that's pretty brilliant. Yeah. Why? It's like the saying, like it's resentment's like taking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. Right. Like exactly. me, she's she's like on the next movie she's like doing her thing living her life and i'm the one that's just like fuming dreaming about this person and how mad i am it's like okay you've got to figure out how to do yeah, well, this Amy, nobody's calling her by a made-up name 20 years later so <laughs> who the hell did she ever beat yeah um <laughs> you correct me if i'm wrong you went back to full-blown regular active roster after that though yeah I, was that terrifying or did you you get your head around it pretty easy. No, they said a year recovery. And when it was a year, I was just starting to feel okay. And I said, okay. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. A year is yeah. not en enough for me. And had I gone back at a year trying to push myself going like, no, I'm going to beat that recovery time, you know, like as an athlete and just wanting to do, it's like, you want to be in control, right? No, I can, but I was realistic and I was like, don't, don't go back yet. And so I just those taking those extra three months, by the time I did go back, I was ready to just blow the doors off the place. I felt really great. I'm so glad that I nice. I had the perspective to wait those extra three months instead of be young and dumb and go, nope, I'm doing this anyways, even though I knew I didn't feel ready. When you do you still have some involvement with the company? I like I'm an indentured servant. Like, I, 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 well, it seems like well, it seems like everybody's never fully all the way out. And I don't mean that as a positive or a negative, but mm. faces show back up, you know. And I don't, you know, I don't know how you pass your day right now, other than what I can Google, and I don't consider that particularly reliable. Right. Um, and during COVID, I don't imagine anybody does fucking anything. But what I would ask is just go ahead. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I mean, they, they're, they're actively wrestling every week. And so the bottom line is they'll call from time to time and say, do you yeah. want to come be a guest here? Do you want to come pop up here? And it's case by case. If I'm busy yeah. or if I'm just not in the wrestling zone headspace, I'll mm -hmm. decline and I'm entitled to the decline. If it sounds like a good time and I'm like, sure, I'll pop in and feels like a high school reunion or something like that, then, mm -hmm. then I'll go do that. I will not do it during a pandemic and, and right. travel and put myself um, in close proximity. You're with not going to endanger of, yourself in front of the digital uh, fans. Not going to do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll be, yeah. I'm going to, I'll stay a digital fan for right now. There you go. Um, what um, facilitated, enabled, or caused, let's call it your more, your real retirement, not the neck breaking interim, mm -hmm. but what, what, what drove you hanging up? So working for WWE is, a beyond for full-time gig 
I mean, you, you're, if you're not working, you're, all, you're on call and you might think that you have the day off and then you'll get a call. Oh, can you do 6 a.m. phoner tomorrow? You need to do this media tour. So you're, I had missed, you know, every friend's wedding, birthday. They, my friends forgot I was alive because they just, you know, after you call someone half a dozen times to hang out and the answer is no, or I'm out of town, I'm out of town, you get taken off the list. Right. Um, so, and, you know, having musical interests and just having other interests in general. I was like, you know, I accomplished more than I ever thought I could in this industry. I'd rather fall flat on my face on the next chapter, but I've got to get outside this bubble and, and be okay with, with what I, okay. I'm proud of what I did here, but also like, it's like, call it, you know, like call it before being dragged out uh, of the ring. Uh, I just felt that it was time to um, take a breath and see what okay. else I could do. It also, that to me also sounds in rhythm with everything you've told me about you just decided it's time to do something and you go friggin' do it, you know, whether, you know, in music, in wrestling, in heading to Mexico, in all of these things. So that doesn't surprise me that it was more a decision than an event, you know. Um, so some questions that I wanted to ask you because while we've definitely demonstrated that we have a, we have, we have a shared background, we have people in common, an easily relatable conversation. You know, I'm an underground musician. I think I've maxed out most people I ever played to was 10,000 people in Berlin, and they weren't there to see me. They were there to see 20 bands at a street festival, right? By and large, you played to two or 300 people. And at times in my life when that has disappeared, even like right now, it fucks up my head. Whether yeah. it, right? Well, tens of thousands or 20,000s, many nights a week for many years. What was the vacuum like when you stopped? Um, I took, I remember taking like, just sleeping, just sleeping yeah. for like days on end and about four or five days after I retired, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. right. You're saying like all, it's like chaos, fanfare, all this stuff. Just took like a long nap. I remember taking my dog for a walk in the cemetery and I was like, oh my God, how did I do that like that was crazy like how did you not sleep for so long just be going right. on to the next on to the next um the the fan thing that was a conscious effort because i felt like i could see people who um in the locker room who like were really driven by that mm-hmm. and um i always made it a really conscious effort to like remind myself like don't believe your own hype and like you're, you're just to, to do this because it's a fun and a unique path but just because people are chanting your name it doesn't make you more valuable or more important like so um that part I felt like I didn't miss that that was just kind of part of the gig um well, the thing that seemed, sorry to interrupt you but the <laughs> thing that seems would seem weird or difficult to me you know in music it's largely autobiographical in wrestling, mm-hmm. while it's the athleticism is over the top, there's a big portrayal factor. There's a, there's a fictional storyline going on, and there's a portrayed individual, right? Yeah. So perception versus reality, and when you are by no means invisible or unknown, that just seems to me like it would be a real mindfuck and really difficult to navigate. Yeah, you're, you're right. That was really difficult to navigate because um, I would be very closed off. You know, mm-hmm. when I would meet people for the first time and it took me a long time, you know, I got right into like this 
like artists, artist musician scene in Atlanta when I, I was living in Atlanta when I retired. Mm-hmm. And it took me a minute to just have my walls down and be like, they don't care that you're leaded, like whether they know or not, like, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, they're mining me for information. They want to know something. Like I just felt very protective and closed off or they think they know me in this way. They think they know because of something they read on the internet or, or saw in the ring that has nothing to do, do with me. And they already have a preconceived notion of who I am. Like all this is going on my head, like a crazy person for a long time. Not when I first retired. And so that was for sure a mind fuck, like mm-hmm. just being like, who wants me for what? And, and like, but also like, I want friends that call me Amy that like me for who I am, but how do right. I find out? And I mean, I, I'd had stuff where, and, and I think it worked both ways. Like people that did watch me in wrestling, but were artists and musicians were like, I don't want to let her know I was a fan because I don't, want you know to like they would assume my my neuroses well even at this even at this removed years down the line uh vantage point it was a concern going into the interview you know of framing this correctly to be respectful and to acknowledge the person as as being about much more than i understand well i mean and that's somebody who's being careful in curating the interaction People are just running into you. I can imagine they hurl some real garbage. Yeah, and I mean, I remember intentionally, you know, but totally unintentionally, totally not realizing what that might do to my psyche or like the, mm-hmm. you know, they're not absorbing my, you know, journey. But I remember some woman, you know, that I was like getting to know, and I was like, oh, she seems really cool, and then like after five times hanging out with her, she got drunk and she was just like, oh my God, Lita. And then I was like, oh, no. and I felt like I was like, oh, I w- I've been had. Like they, they've known all along and they acted like they didn't. And, and I was like so turned off. But then I was like, it's okay. Like she's still who she is. She just didn't want to let me know she was a fan because we are developing a like two people from ground zero. But I felt like but you know about me and all I know about you is what you've told me. And then like, you didn't disclose that information. So it, it is like a weird thing about when you're a fan. And even like you're saying from a band standpoint, if somebody was like, um, didn't know, like didn't act like they knew of who you were and they're just like, right. so, so what did you do? And you're like, you know what I did? Like, don't. Right. <laughs> well, I, so. And in the microscopic level that I've been visible in, and I make it a practice to never introduce the fact that I do music to strangers on any level. For one thing, punk rock and hardcore don't translate to people that don't come from it. But then mm-hmm. within it, you know, by era and by geography, it all comes with its, like, inherent prejudices. I just leave it out. They can know me for a while before they say, hey, were you that asshole? Oh, absolutely. I do the same thing. I have like a a gamut of fake jobs and things that I make Mm -hmm. up like that, or or they might be a facet of something that I do, but it's like, Mm -hmm. I for sure don't lead by meeting a stranger with that. I was a former WWE professional wrestler. Like I wait to be like, let's let you have your own opinion of who you like a little bit, who you think I am before I just like dump that pile of shit on top of you. you Um, we these go fast keeping them short but i've got to tell yeah. you this is this has been a real joy which i find myself saying often i'm really glad that i ended up doing these it's like the adventure of a middle-aged man and his cheap laptop you know <laughs> but, uh, but uh this in particular has been a fun one i uh want to ask you something that is neither amy specific nor 
punk rock specific. But why the Bay Area? Because I'm a former Bay Area resident who still has an incurable crush on the town. Now, for me, it's the East Bay. But really, Bay Area is unlike any, anywhere else in the country. How did you arrive at that conclusion? Yeah, so I found myself probably, what, seven years ago or so. I was recently single. I was living in Atlanta. And all of my friends were just, like, married up and moving into the suburbs. And doesn't mean I didn't love them any less. But especially in the South, like, I'm at the grocery store. And they're like, when are you getting married? When are you having children? And I'm like, that's not a thing for everyone. Like. And so I just kind of felt like I know what's here. I'll always have an attachment to Atlanta, but I want to go somewhere where people are living different lives and it's not considered grocery store chatter to ask somebody when you're getting married or, I mean, not like, it's not like that was the bane of my, but it's just like that, that you have to fit into this box or that you're supposed to live your life in a certain way. And that's, what's considered successful. The city is off script or at least on a different script. I get what you're saying. Totally. Totally. So I just knew that, um, you know, I had about the same amount of friends in LA and in San Francisco. And so it was 50, 50 of where I would have ended up. And, um, you know, just the, the vibe and the, like the liberal intelligence and that culture just grabbed, mm-hmm. like I attached to more than say, um, LA. So I just, just landed here. And I said, you know what, I'll give it a year, six mm-hmm. years ago. So I'll give it a year. If nothing lasts, like, I'll go to great museums. I'll go on beautiful hikes. Maybe I'll meet some people and move on. But I'm still here. No, I, I would never have left. I left because of a dying relative. I was a, the lone surviving contact for an, for an elderly woman and had to come back to SoCal. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, congratulations on living where I wish I did. <laughs> um, listen, uh, this exceeds expectations and was really fun for me. I can find a substantive reason to do it. I would love to talk to you again sometime. Sounds great. Nice to meet you virtually and uh, maybe in, in real life someday when we can be around other humans. I was going to say, between COVID and budget, the barrier seems like a distant dream, but played in Oakland last year, played in downtown Oakland at the Golden Bowl last year. So it's probably just a matter of vaccines before I get to see a lot of special people again. And yeah, I will ring the bell when I'm coming north because that would be great. All right. Sounds good, Dan. Thanks for your time. All right, cool. I'm going to kill record. Thank you, Amy. Who out there? Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our biweekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! <laughs>